0: Hey, Reveal listeners, if you've been listening to American Rehab, you don't need me to tell you about the importance of great investigative journalism. It really helps us when our listeners rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's so easy to do, and it helps others find our show. So we've got a bonus for the next 200 people who review us reveal tote bags like our t-shirts they're simple and elegant dark blue with the word facts written across the front in bold type so here's what you got to do text the word review to 474747 and we'll give you instructions on how to get one while supplies last again text the word review to 474747 you can text stop at any time and standard rates apply and when you leave the review, if you want to tell them that Al Ledson is your all-time favorite host, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at that. Thank you so much for your review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Ledson. Karen Stipes was around a year old when her mother went missing.
1: You know, I had to suffer my whole life because of whatever happened, you know, with my mother. I wish that someone would tell me, you know, let me know what happened.
0: Les Ruggs' son disappeared on a fishing trip. My son, Kyle Rugg is 20 years old. He disappeared on a Wednesday, March the 4th, 2015. Alice Almandaris's father went missing in Houston. His regular phone calls to his daughter just stopped cold.
2: My dad was reported missing at the end of June 2002.
0: People vanish. Right now, around 80,000 men, women, and children are missing in the United States. These are just a few of the family members of missing people we spoke to across the country.
2: There's no way to describe what it feels like to not know where someone is or what happened to them. The worst part about it is not knowing.
0: Unfortunately, some of those missing people will never come home. Like Alice's dad, his body was unidentified for 10 years and was buried as a John Doe just a few miles from his home. His daughter had no idea what happened to him for all those years. We've done a lot of reporting about Jane and John Doe's and the families they leave behind. We found that there are no national laws requiring coroners or police to enter unidentified cases into a national database that could help send them home. And the problem is growing. When we started looking at this in 2014, there were fewer than 10,000 unidentified bodies in a national database. Today, there are more than 11,000. Some are being stored in morgues, others have been buried in public cemeteries without a name. Every one of those people had a life, a story to tell. Today, we're going deep into one of those. We first brought you this story earlier this year, and later in the show, we'll let you know what's happened since it first aired. It's about a murder victim Whose body was found on a mountain trail in Kentucky in 1969. Before we get started, just a quick heads up. A lot of our show is about death and dead people, so it can get a little gruesome. It's not for all listeners. Michael Schiller picks up the story in Harlan, Kentucky. We're
3: driving through southeastern Kentucky, it's deep in coal country near the Virginia border. We're headed to Harlan. It's in a valley surrounded by the dense forests of the Appalachian Hills. Pine Mountain to the northeast is where you'll find Little Shepherd's Trail, a single lane mountaintop road that stretches for 40 miles, snaking along the top of a ridge. Little Shepherd Trail might sound familiar. There's a novel named after it, a Civil War epic. This is where they found Mountain Jane Doe.
4: On Little Shepherd Trail, The body of a young woman was discovered by a man who was picking flowers
3: for his wife. That's Darla Jackson.
4: I was born May 25, 1969. It's possible she was murdered on the day I was born.
3: Darla's a former Miss Harlan County with a winning smile and bright green eyes. She's also an author and an amateur historian who's been researching this story for years.
4: You don't happen upon Little Shepherd Trail you go to Little Shepherd Trail.
3: The body was found on a steep slope in the forest brush. She
4: was found about 50 feet off of the road. She had been there a week at least, maybe more. The only thing found with her was a restaurant receipt from the Cincinnati, Ohio area and a blouse or cloth found with her. She uh, had been stabbed in the chest multiple times, no clothing on her. And it didn't take long to realize that there was no clue as to who this woman was.
5: Her face was completely gone. All you could see was a skull. Bill Bowman was just out of high school when the body was found.
3: He was working at the Appalachian Regional Hospital in the medical supplies department.
5: There was a very strange odor in the hospital, one of the supervisors came and asked if, uh, if I was squeamish, if I would mind participating in their autopsy. And it was mostly just suit up, mask up, and stand there with uh, spray of Lysol in each hand and just spray while they were doing the autopsy.
3: Bill wasn't trained in this type of work at all. He was simply drafted at the last minute to help the medical examiner because there was no one else around to do it.
5: They pretty much lined her down, put her in a bag, and uh, that was pretty much it.
3: A few days later, they buried her in the same body bag.
4: She was taken up to this cemetery by the rescue squad. She was buried in this casket, and a small grave marker was placed for her. And that is about all we hear of her at that time.
5: That was pretty much a shocker for the community, you know, to uh, uh, find this girl like that murdered up on this trail. Everyone was uh, wondering, you know, what's going on? What happened to her? Why is she here? Where she come from?
3: We couldn't find anyone still alive who was there on that day of June in 1969 when they found the body. But we did find an eyewitness account from a 2009 news broadcast on the local TV station. WYMT. It's from Joe Mahan, just a couple years before he passed away. Joe owned a funeral home in town, and he was the guy who actually went and retrieved the body. This still
6: stays with me. I pray a lot over this, hoping that she can be identified and maybe the killer be identified
1: also.
3: Joe held a funeral service for Mountain Jane Doe. He even paid for the casket himself.
1: I just couldn't put that little girl in her county casket getting taken and knowing what she may have gone through with maybe on
7: that mountainside some night.
3: People came from all around. They lined up outside his small red brick chapel for the funeral. And after they buried her, that was kind of it. Police had a few leads over the years that never really went anywhere. But the people of Harlan and the Kentucky State Police never forgot about Mountain Jane Doe.
1: This is a case that I have heard about since I was little.
3: Jackie Pickerel is from Harlan. She's with the Kentucky State Police.
1: And so whenever I came here as the Detective Sergeant, I went and found the case just to read through it. There's just not a lot to work with
7: in this case.
3: Mountain Jane Doe's case was passed down from one detective to the next for decades. Retired State Police Detective Ken Kreider tried to solve it in the early 90s.
4: The one thing that probably bugged me more than anything in my career was not being able to solve something like this because it, it really matters
5: to people.
3: Over the years, there were lots of theories about who Mountain Jane Doe might be and who might have killed her. But they never panned out. The case pretty much goes cold until the fall of 2000, when something happens that sets it back in motion.
4: I hadn't thought about her in years.
3: That's Darla Jackson again.
4: I'd gotten married, I'd had a child... I was raising a family. So this young girl that was found murdered in 69 was not even a memory, really, at the time.
3: Darla grew up hearing stories of Mountain Jane Doe as a kid, but those memories have faded. She's a mother now, and she's busy helping run the family business, her husband's funeral home. So when did she come back into your life?
4: She came back into my life in November of 2000. My Aunt Loretta... Called me. She first asked me, Do you remember the girl found in 1969 on Little Shepherd Trail? And I said, Yeah, of course. I remember it. And she said, Well, your Uncle James is saying that he may know who killed her. He wants you and I
3: to help. Her uncle, James Saylor, had recently moved into a trailer next to the Harlan Gas Cemetery where Mountain Jane Doe was buried.
4: He says that maybe a few days later that he wakes
2: up and he sees a girl.
3: He tells the same thing to Darla's aunt, Loretta Martin.
2: And he said she had short, very neatly blonde hair, kind of like a little page boy. She had a very clean, crisp white blouse. So it was a very detailed description. And he said, I started to sit up I put my legs on the side of the bed, and when I did, she disappeared.
3: Now, Reveal doesn't do ghost stories. And there isn't any proof anywhere that psychics actually solve crimes, even though it's well known that detectives consult with them from time to time. Needless to say, I was skeptical of this story. Uncle James's sister, Loretta, was too.
2: And I asked him, I said, James, are you sure you're not... What, are you smoking? I said, uh, what's, you know, uh, were you asleep when you saw this vision of this girl? He started telling me all about it, and he said no.
3: Did you ever suspect your brother had any involvement or not? Yes, I
2: did. I asked him, absolutely. I said, now, you could end up in prison. (laughs) I said, you will be the first suspect.
3: Uncle James described intimate details of the crime scene. Some of what he said had been in the local media, and other things hadn't. We have no way of knowing how much of the story he got right, but he told it all to Darla.
4: Some of the details that he told me were that she was stabbed, that she was dragged and dumped, that a car brought her there. He felt that she was already dead when she arrived on Little Shepherd Trail.
3: What did you do with this information?
4: Well, the first thing
2: I did was I wrote, it. I wrote it all down. And he went out there and reported this to the state police.
3: Darla and her aunt both say they reported what Uncle James told them to the police. I checked with the Kentucky State Police, and Uncle James was never a suspect in their investigation. They don't have any record of a James Saylor in their case file at all. No one jotted down that a local man or his family had called in with some details about the crime.
4: I have lost many nights sleep over this case and this girl in the past 15 years.
3: Darla recognizes she became somewhat obsessed with the case. She even had a new grave marker made. She keeps the original one at her house.
4: And this is my bedroom and I put I think I put this marker in here in 2008.
3: She keeps the grave marker in her nightstand next to her bed. It's just a small aluminum rectangle mounted to a metal stake. The red paint is flaking off, and engraved in white letters it says, Unidentified Girl. Burial, June 5th, 1969.
4: She could not speak for herself, and no one was speaking for her. I wanted people to remember her, and she deserved a voice. So I spoke for her.
3: Jarla wrote a book about Mountain Jane Doe, based on her uncle's visions. In 2009, she got the attention of local TV news.
4: Anyone who was alive in Harlan County in 1969 probably remembers the story of a young woman found stabbed to death on Pine Mountain. Nearly 40 years later, it's still not...
3: This newscast changes everything. This is where the ghost story crosses over into the real world. It stirs things up in the community and brings Mountain Jane Doe back into the minds of people who remember her. One of them is Karen Stipes, the Kentucky woman we heard from earlier.
1: And, you know, I watched the whole program, and then I called. It had a number at the bottom of the screen, so I called, and uh, I told him that that was my mother. And he said, no, it wouldn't have been that she was younger and didn't have any children, that it couldn't be her, so.
3: Karen's mother went missing in 1969. The same year Mountain Jane Doe was found, her mom disappeared from Letcher County, right next to Harlan.
8: Nearly 40 years later, it's still not
4: known who she was, where she came from, and who killed her.
3: Another person who happened to catch the newscast that night was a guy named Todd Matthews. I've always said some of my
6: best friends are dead, and people say I'm sorry, but they were dead when I met them.
3: Todd has a dark sense of humor. It's how he makes it through a tough job.
6: For the most part, my day job is finding the missing among the dead, the unidentified deceased.
3: Todd's got hair that's long in the back and feathered on the sides and a thick groom mustache. He runs the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, or NAMIS, the program that works to identify John and Jane Doe's. Over the years, NAMIS has solved more than 500 of these cases. I found out about Harlan County
6: Jane Doe case because of Darla's book.
4: He said that in my book that I wrote that no one was interested in this young girl and her murder, and he informed me that he was very interested.
5: Okay,
6: here we go. Five, four, three, two, one.
3: After Darla's book is published, Todd invites her onto a radio show he hosts about America's Missing.
6: Welcome, Darla. Thank
4: you. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great.
3: I
6: remember the day I first laid eyes on Darla Jackson. She was just a true Southern belle. A lovely woman, very compassionate.
4: Such an injustice. You know, unidentified girl. A uh, killer, never brought to justice. And uh, just simply forgotten on, on the side of a hill in Harlan
1: County.
6: Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of the same feelings that I've had myself for, you know, the cases that I've worked on.
3: Todd takes a special interest in Mountain Jane Doe's case, partly because it's his home turf. He's from Appalachian, Tennessee, a few hours' drive from Harlan. With the Harlan County Jane Doe case, the only thing left to do in this case is to get that body out
6: of the ground for DNA collation.
3: Todd goes to the only person who can have her body exhumed, the Harlan County coroner. It takes months to get a court order from a judge, and then finally, one morning in November of 2014, they're ready to dig up Mountain Jane Doe, 45 years after she went into the ground. The makeshift cemetery is just a small cluster of graves scattered on a forested hillside. Four police officers wearing gloves and heavy work boots are pulling up dirt and rocks. A group of investigators watches as debris is shoveled onto a plastic tarp. Mountain Jane Doe's case is still an active homicide investigation. These days, the detective assigned to the case is
9: Detective William Joshua Howard, um Kentucky State Police Detective. Uh, currently assigned uh, Post 10, which is located here in Harlan, Kentucky.
3: Detective Howard's police jumpsuit is streaked with mud.
9: I was assigned uh, the Mountain Jane Doe case probably mid-2014. I'm not strictly a homicide detective. We, We work all major crimes, violent crimes.
3: There are enormous odds stacked against Detective Howard solving this murder. This case has been cold for decades.
9: You can't have a suspect until we figure out who a victim is.
3: And there's that part, not knowing who she is.
1: As soon as we know who she was, then we can figure out where she's from, people that she was associated with, and hopefully find a motive pretty quick.
3: That's Detective Sergeant Jackie Pickerel again. She's here too. She's swinging a pickaxe to chop through a tree root that's grown over the casket.
4: I would love to see a beautiful, intact skull.
3: That would be awesome. That
4: we
5: can...
3: Recreate. Todd and Darla are here too, watching from the sidelines. After a few hours of digging, their shovels hit something.
6: There's a piece of the casket.
3: It's fragments of a casket that rotted away years ago. Pieces of bone are pulled out one at a time. Eventually, they find a skull tightly packed in dirt and clay. They carefully remove it, take some photos, and place it in a cardboard evidence box. The
6: skull's been—it's collapsed a little bit, but he could probably rinse that off easily. Good job, man.
3: <laughs> the remains will be shipped to the University of North Texas in Fort Worth. That's where NamUs is based, together with the Center for Human Identification.
6: And this is the area where they do some of the bone cut, the DNA lab.
3: A few months later, we meet up with Todd in Fort Worth. He shows us how remains like Mountain Jane Doe's are handled.
6: You'll see it through these windows. Most of them are closed most
3: of the time. It's Bone Cut Tuesday. Behind sealed glass, we can see technicians extracting DNA. A woman in a lab coat, gloves, and mask cuts into a section of bone with a small electrical saw. The bone is then pulverized and mixed with a chemical in a test tube.
6: And it's a, quite a complicated process. It's nothing like you see on CSI. It's nothing that's fast and instantaneous. Uh, you know, the genetic code is not a barcode. It takes time, you know, to go through this process.
3: Once the genetic code is extracted, it's put into a federal database that has thousands of missing persons cases. Todd Matthews is keeping his fingers crossed that one of those missing people will match with Mountain Jane Doe.
6: will be either a cold hit a direct comparison or
3: nothing. You know, maybe we
6: don't have a missing person that matches this person in the system yet.
3: But even if there is a match waiting in the system, it can take months or even a year to get DNA results. There's a backlog because there are too many boxes of bones and not enough scientists. The living victims of missing and unidentified
6: persons cases are the families because they're going through this tragedy every day. You know, a traditional funeral, Three days, you're buried, and then you find ways to adapt to your new life. In a missing persons case, it's, it's like a funeral that goes on for years, sometimes decades.
3: Back in Harlan, it's been seven months since investigators dug up the skull and bones from the hillside grave. Finally, Darley gets the call from Todd she's been waiting for.
6: Hello, Darla, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you?
3: We do have some news.
1: Okay.
6: And right. I know that you've sat by that grave many times. Yes. Uh, you've even shared a glass of wine and poured it into the grave and I know that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um,
6: and I and I want to apologize because I couldn't tell you anything sooner. The remains that were exhumed that day in Harlan County were not the remains of our Harlan County Jane no.
4: Oh no. I'm in shock. I'm terribly disappointed, but I I just, I don't know what to say. How did it happen? And where is she?
3: Investigators thought they were exhuming Mountain Jane Doe, but they dug up the wrong body. The unidentified girl marker was on the wrong grave. I asked Darla how she's taking the news.
4: It's never been easy, but it's never been boring. I gotta, I gotta hand that to the case. Right now, what I'm thinking is, to get the right grave, we had to dig up the wrong grave. Um, I know she's there. She's in that cemetery, and she's in that area. So now we just have to find her. It's just, this is just another step. Now we got we to do it again. It's time to exhume again. She's there.
0: She may be there, but will officials find her? And how did they dig up the wrong body in the first place? We'll go back to the gravesite when we return. This is Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX.
8: Reveal is brought to you by the University of Virginia and the Sacred and Profane podcast. We often hear, it's not polite to bring up religion. But we lose so much when we don't talk about religion. Sacred and Profane is a podcast that isn't afraid to tackle religion. Next up, the long-standing problem of discriminatory policing against religious and racial minorities in France. Sacred and Profane is produced by the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab at the University of Virginia. Catch Season 2 wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for Reveal comes from Blinds.com. Transforming your home into even more of a sanctuary is easy and affordable with Blinds.com. They make it simple to shop top-quality blinds, shades, and interior shutters from home, with easy online ordering and free shipping. Blinds.com has helped millions of homeowners through the process, and they guarantee the perfect fit whether you DIY or have them install everything for you. Go right now and see how much you can save at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
0: From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letton. Today we're unraveling the mystery of Mountain Jane Doe, the story of a young woman who was found stabbed to death on a trail in 1969 and buried without a name. This episode is not for young listeners. In the fall of 2014, authorities dug up a hillside grave to try and identify her, but they got the wrong body and exhumed a man's skeleton by accident. Reveal's Michael Schiller picks up the story in Harlan, Kentucky.
2: In 1,000 feet, turn right onto Red Dunk Road.
0: The
3: only way to fully understand how they got the wrong body is to visit the Harlan Gas Cemetery, where Mountain Jane Doe is buried. It's a pretty steep climb up a windy, one-lane dirt road. Oh, and we're stuck. At first, our rental SUV can't make it up the road. We move some rocks and some sticks and finally get up to the cemetery. It's just a clearing in the forest on the side of the road. There's no sign, no gate. Some stone steps go up the hillside. There are small headstones and a few concrete statues of angels. Up the steep hill even further is the area where the unidentified are buried. pretty hard to tell if you're walking over someone's grave or not around here. Doing my best to be respectful and avoid all the graves. Some graves are marked only with a small rock and there are others that look like they could be graves where the ground is sunken, but they have no markings at all. It's not like the cemeteries with mowed lawns and fancy headstones. At some point, Mountain Jane Doe's temporary grave marker got moved. It was just a small aluminum stake that's easily knocked over or pulled out of the ground. Someone must have put it back on the
7: wrong grave. There's always a possibility in, in the back of my mind that it may not be the, the right grave simply because of the, the manner in which the graves were marked with just a temporary grave marker that sticks into the ground. That's Harlan County Coroner
3: Philip Bianchi. He was in charge of the exhumation in 2014
7: when they thought they were digging up Mountain Jane Doe. We started seeing things that day that I questioned. Some embalming artifacts that were present. I expected that there would be a body bag, or at least remnants of a body bag. We saw no evidence of that as well. Then there was a clip-on tie. The remains we had recovered were most likely those of an unidentified male individual. But the
3: coroner wasn't ready to walk away. A year after that first dig, in the fall of 2015, they went back again for a second try.
7: And I guess it would end up being about two graves away from the original exhumation. And we found evidence of the body bag and things that she would have been placed in inside the casket. So it was consistent with the description of the original case.
3: On the third grave they opened, the casket matched the picture. And the body bag was there. So was a skull, some ribs, femurs. It was almost a complete skeleton. For a second time, the coroner shipped a box of bones to the lab in Texas to get DNA.
7: It's a waiting game. I mean, it's. Uh, there's, I don't know anything else that we can do at this particular point in time that's gonna speed it along.
3: Making an identification of a Jane Doe isn't quick or easy. Here's how it works the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, or NAMIS, has a database. It's two big lists, really. One is a list of unidentified bodies, Jane and John Doe's. The other is a list of people who've been reported missing. NamUs tries to match the two. It's like a raffle. One ticket alone doesn't do it. You need the other ticket with the matching number. The DNA, fingerprints, and dental profile of the Jane Doe ticket have to match the profile of the family ticket.
8: We want to reunite families. We want to send them back home. We want to give them their name that they were born with.
3: Amy Dobbs is an investigator for NamUs.
8: So the system had flagged several possible matches based off of height, weight, date.
3: In Mountain Jane Doe's case, the database flags four missing women, who could be a match. Women who were about the same age, who disappeared around the same time. Amy's job is to collect DNA samples from their families.
8: We want to gather as many relatives as we possibly can to strengthen that DNA profile.
3: To build that profile, Amy goes out into the field to collect DNA. Basically, she drives to people's homes and asked them to put a Q-tip in their mouth.
8: It's called a buccal swab, and we collected skin cells from the inside of the mouth.
3: She takes the Q-tip back to the lab where scientists use those skin cells to create the DNA profile. But without Mountain Jane Doe's DNA in the system, there's nothing to match it to. And for now, the skeleton is sitting on a shelf at the lab in Texas. There's a backlog of cases that's months long. Like the coroner said, it's a waiting game. And then finally, almost a year after the second exhumation, in September of 2016.
0: Today we finally learned the answer to a question investigators in Harlan County have been asking for almost half a century. Who is the Mountain Jane Doe? DNA testing confirms the body
7: is that of Sonia K. Blair Adams. Sonia K. Blair Adams disappeared from her home in Letcher County, Kentucky, when she was just 21 years old. Her name was Sonia K. Blair. Blair Adams. Sonja K. Blair Adams.
1: My mother was uh, Mountain Jane Doe, and her name was Sonja K. Blair Adams.
3: We're in Karen Stipe's living room, sitting on the couch. She's a strawberry blonde, just like her mom.
1: People told me she was a good person. She was kind-hearted, and, uh, you know, people liked her.
3: We heard from Karen earlier in the show. She's the one who saw the TV newscast in 2009 and called the number on the bottom of the screen. But when Karen called in, the person who answered told her no. Mountain Jane Doe couldn't be her mother.
1: He said she was younger and didn't have any children. So it couldn't be her.
3: They were wrong. But Karen didn't give up. With help from her kids in Tennessee, eventually she found out about NamUs. They swabbed Karen and her kids for DNA.
1: NamUs was uh, wonderful one. And- it didn't cost anything for me or my children that done it. Uh, Namus done all of that.
3: She shares some pictures with us on her laptop. So
1: I do have a better picture of her.
3: Karen has her mother's eyes. It's amazing to see a photo of her after all this time, and it makes it all really sad.
1: There's nothing ever going to make it good that I didn't have a mother. You know, I would have loved to have had a mother and know her. But there's nothing can bring that back or change it because, you know, even my children, they never had a grandmother because of this. It's actually sad, you know, but I'm glad that she's identified now.
3: A few days later, Karen makes the long drive to meet the coroner at his funeral home in Harlan. She's here to take custody of her mother's remains, and she allows us to be there with her. We're in a small room. There's a plain cardboard box on a table, the kind you'd use to ship something in the mail. It's just a few feet long. The coroner opens it with a box cutter. He turns to Karen and he asks her.
7: you ready for her? Mm-hmm. Uh...
3: He takes out different sized bundles wrapped in brown packing paper from the box. He places them on a table and unrolls them.
1: So this would have been arm, maybe. This
7: one
3: that Karen takes her mother's skull from the brown paper and gently cradles it.
1: I told my husband, I said, you might think I'm weird, but I just want to touch her bones, you know? Unfortunate is what I would tell her
7: that you have to meet.
1: Bones.
3: Karen wants to have a proper burial for her mother in the coming months. This is where Darla Jackson comes back into the story. I meet up with Darla at the funeral home she owns. She's the woman who wrote a book about Mountain Jane Doe back in 2009 that got the attention of investigators.
4: Her first burial and service was given to her without her identity. And I thought it would be fitting for her to have a service and funeral as Sanja.
3: I'm with Darla in the parlor room of her funeral home. The place has a classic feel. It's 100 years old with dark wood floors and banisters. We're waiting for Karen to come over to meet Darla for the first time.
4: I wanted to speak with Karen about offering her a funeral. Hopefully we will plan out a beautiful service for Sanja that is 47 years late.
3: Darla and Karen have been trying to press the two pieces of this puzzle together for so long. The whole time, neither of them knowing the other one was just one county away. Sounds like someone's trying to come in.
4: Hello? Hi. Hi. I'm good. You I, feel are... like I, you. <laughs> I feel like I know you. I feel like I know you. It is so good to finally get to you meet too. you. Thank you. And I, I'm Darla.
1: I know. You're Karen. I feel yes. like I know you. Yes. And I appreciate everything you've done. I well, can't tell you what it means. Well, I am just so happy for you.
4: You don't know how happy I am <laughs> that you finally get get to learn some things.
1: Yeah. Yes. It's- yeah, I know. And I appreciate everything you all done because, you know, that's helped me to get here. It did good. good. Yeah, it That's did. why I did it. That's mm-hmm. why I did it.
4: So you could... You did <laughs> <it>. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
3: Karen wrote a letter to her mother, and she wants this part of it engraved on the tombstone.
1: As a little girl... I remember praying and praying that you would come and get me. Something I would have never known that I, I had to come get you. You had to go get your mom.
0: It was a bittersweet reunion for Karen. Now she knows for sure why her mother never came home and that her mom didn't leave her. She was taken from her. But it opens up more questions.
1: As far as closure, there'll be no closure for me until they find who killed her. Because whoever killed her, you know, they've already got away with it for 47 years. I don't think they need to be getting away with it anymore. And I will never be happy unless they get who done it.
0: You're listening to Reveal. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Edson. Today, we're telling the story of Mountain Jane Doe, a murder victim who was unidentified for 47 years. In the fall of 2016, she finally got her name back, thanks to a DNA match to her daughter and grandkids. Her name was Sonja K. Blair Adams, She was just 21 years old when she was murdered. The match answered one question for Sonja's daughter, Karen Stipes, but it opened up many more. Reveals Michael Schiller joins Karen on a trip back to the place her mom's body was found on Pine Mountain in Kentucky.
3: We're up on Little Shepherd's Trail. It's on top of a mountain. You can see for miles from up here. Mist swirls through the valley below like a river, swallowing the thick forests of Appalachia. Sanja Kay was found 50 feet off this one-lane dirt and gravel road in 1969.
1: I just always wanted to come and see exactly where her body was found, you know, to see see the spot. I don't know how to tell you how it feels.
3: Karen has never been to the exact place where they found her mother's body until today. It's an overcast afternoon in October of 2016. The leaves have mostly turned shades of amber, brown, and red.
1: I hope maybe we can uh, mark this spot somehow.
3: The identification of Sanja K. Blair Adams was a surprise to some, but not to Karen Stipes, who already knew with every fiber for being that Mountain Jane Doe was her mother.
1: Like I had told the coroner, if it had came back and said that it wasn't her, I would have never believed it. You know, I mean, I just, I knew that it was her. And I kept telling them I know it's her, you know. How did you know? I, I No, you all can cut this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't know we was going there right now. I didn't. Okay,
3: you want to cut? I turn off the recorder and Karen takes a deep breath. Then she tells me how she knew Mountain Jane Doe was her mom. When Karen was a child, her grandmother told her something so awful she didn't want to say it on tape, but she said we could. Her grandmother told her, you're going to grow up to be a whore like your mother, and she ended up naked and stabbed on Little Shepherd's Trail. That's where Mountain Jane Doe was found.
1: My grandmother, she would get upset, you know, anytime you bring anything up about my mother. So, you know, I I was scared to bring it up.
3: Mary Rutherford Adams and her husband Dallas were Karen's grandparents on her father's side, and they adopted her.
1: I was a little over a year old, and uh, my grandparents raised me after my mother had went missing. It wasn't an easy childhood or an easy life.
3: Karen says that at different times throughout her childhood, her grandma would say those awful words about her mother and the murder. This was 40 years before she was identified through DNA. It raises so many questions. If her grandma knew what happened to Sanja Kay, why didn't she contact the police? Did Karen's grandma know more than she was saying about the murder? And if her grandma knew, did anyone else
1: you feel like you can't trust anybody and you don't know, you know, who knows and who don't know. And, you know, it's 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 a horrible feeling to feel like everybody knows something and nobody will tell you.
3: If someone did know something, they weren't talking. According to police, no one filed a missing persons report for Sanja Kay in 1969. She disappeared from Letcher County, right next to Harlan. With her living so close... Why didn't anyone make the connection? And why didn't anyone in Letcher County report her missing? Here's the thing about being unidentified. In her anonymity, Mountain Jane Doe was perfect, angelic. But in reality, Sanja Kay's life was more complicated. We found her divorce papers in the Kentucky State Archives that tell part of her story. It's a public record and a snapshot of a turbulent time towards the end of her life. In nineteen sixty seven, Sanja Kay married a guy named Roy Adams. About a year later, Roy went into the army. While Roy was in the military, Sanja Kay left him for his brother James. Sanja Kay and James had a baby together. That's Karen. About a year later, Sanja Kay was murdered. Was Roy ever a suspect in the crime?
9: I don't I don't know if we could say Roy's a suspect.
3: Sanjike's ex-husband, Roy, still lives in Letcher County. He wouldn't speak with us, but he did speak with Detective Howard from the Kentucky State Police.
9: I think, uh, you know, in any case, any murder case for sure, any family members that would have been in contact would be looked at and asked questions to rule them out as being a suspect.
3: We filed for Roy's military release paperwork, his DD-214. We found out that Roy went to Vietnam a month after the divorce. At the time of the murder, he was thousands of miles away. Roy didn't return phone messages, and his wife hung up on me. And we never got to speak with his brother James, either.
9: So, uh, you know, unfortunately, as I've learned, James has since passed away within the last couple of days, so... Wow.
3: James was the last person we know of who lived with Sanja Kay and he might have had information about where she went or who saw her last. James died right before we got to Harlan in October of 2016. He had been sick for a while, and not long after the identification of Sanjay K, he left town. He went out of state to stay with relatives. Was James ever considered to be a, a suspect or person of interest in the case?
9: I don't, I don't, and I don't think that we could ever say that Roy or James, either one, was a suspect. So I think James had information that would be beneficial to the case, yes. Do I think he's a killer? I don't, I, I don't be, I, I'm unable to say that because I never had a chance to talk to him.
3: Karen Stipes had been trying to get Detective Howard to interview James Adams since the identification. She says she gave him phone numbers and addresses where they could find James, but police never spoke with him. This is a phone call between Karen and Detective Howard, a few days after James died.
1: You said that you all had all of the evidence in the case. That's what got in my head thinking that maybe once I got it proved that it was her, you all might have evidence to go get whoever.
3: Karen's talking about evidence from the crime scene in 1969, a restaurant receipt from Cincinnati and a piece of a man's sweater. They're gone. So is the opportunity to reach James Adams.
9: Here's my feelings of it, guys. I've done nothing but try to cater to you for a year and a half and go on the extra mile to try to, to try to solve something for you. And all of it is, it's turned around on me because you feel I've lied to you and haven't done
1: enough. No, Josh, that is not the case at all. I have done everything I can for you. There's been times that you wouldn't even answer me a long time ago. You didn't even bother to call me back or anything. And I have kept after this for two years and something. And I understand that you have other stuff too, and I feel bad about it, and I wanted to help change that. I want you to have more police officers. But you can use this case to change the way things are done so that other people don't have to go through this. And you're just pissed because I called and asked for the chief of police. I didn't say nothing hateful to you. I was just trying to ask. And that's okay, Josh. I'm done. (sighs)
3: Do you think there's any chance that this will end with an arrest or prosecution?
9: I, I think there's a possibility, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm that kind of guy, so I'm not going to give up. And, and that's what I tell Miss Stops. You know, I, I know she wants somebody to be held responsible as much as I do. You know, and, and, and I'm, I'm that kind of guy that says, hey, I'm going to put 100% effort to try to to try to, uh, to prove that. Do I think that it's possible? It's, it's very possible. Do I think it's, it's going to be a, a hard task? Probably the hardest task I've ever attempted.
3: Undeniably, it's a hard task. And making the identification wasn't easy either. It took 47 years for the state police, but they solved that mystery. Their murder investigation, on the other hand, hasn't gone anywhere. They have no suspects, and there are other issues. The evidence from the crime scene is missing. There was a restaurant receipt and part of a man's sweater found at the crime scene. It's mentioned in the local paper from 1969. But Detective Howard says they're not in his case file, and he's not sure they ever existed. Right now, if you go to the Kentucky State Police website, they have a list of cold cases, unsolved murders in Harlan County. Sanjay K. Blair-Adams isn't on it. Missing evidence, missed opportunities, all of this is frustrating for Karen Stipes, but she isn't giving up on trying to piece together her mother's story and her own. She hoped her adoption papers would hold some answers. So she filed for them and sent them to me. So it's from the circuit court clerk, Letcher County District Courts. This is Karen's grandparents' statement to the court. They're asking for custody of Karen. The birth mother abandoned the child in the custody of the grandparents, Mr. and Mrs. Dallas Adams. That prior to May 8, 1969, the mother of the child, Sanja K. Adams, has contributed nothing to the child's support and maintenance. That prior to said date, she abandoned her child, Karen K. Adams, in the custody of petitioners. And such abandonment and desertion... Has continued- Karen's grandparents filed for adoption May 8, 1969. <laughs> Sanja Kay's body was found June 2nd, 1969. The coroner said she had been up there around three weeks. The grandparents filed for adoption within days of Sanja Kay's murder. This is the same grandma that told Karen all those years ago that her mother was Mountain Jane Doe. Okay, so, here's the part where I tell you we didn't solve the murder. That we can't prove who killed Sanjay K. Blair Adams. We tried. We followed leads around the country and have a short list of people who could have done it, might have done it. But we can't rely on hearsay or an anonymous jailhouse snitch or a psychic vision to base our reporting on. And so many people connected to this case who might have known something have passed away. Like Karen's grandma. Mary Rutherford Adams. She died a long time ago. And whatever she knew about Sanja Kay for all those years, we'll never know. It took some dogged investigators, a unique government database, and the science of DNA to reveal the truth about Sanja Kay's identity and confirm what Karen Stipes knew all along.
1: It just kills me to think about her being down there all this time unidentified. And that's why, you know, I'm happy that she's identified and I hope And I think we will be able to, I hope we give her the most honorable funeral ever. You know, I just want to, and I want to get her a nice stone and everything. And and, uh, I just hope I can, I hope she would be proud.
3: It's a humid overcast day in late July. The pews are nearly full inside the chapel of the Mount Pleasant Funeral Home in downtown Harlan. They're here to pay their respects to Sanja K. Blair Adams. A preacher stands at the podium. Our Father in heaven, we come before you today, dear Lord. just asking for your goodness and your blessings to be outpoured on this service today, dear God. Karen greets the small crowd.
1: My family and I, first of all, want to thank everyone for coming today.
3: She unrolls a sheet of paper and reads from it.
1: I think it's so amazing that so many strangers and people from everywhere can be working on the same thing. And we finally all got together, and I think it's going to bring good things for the future. And maybe my mother's murder won't be so in vain.
3: It's a somber moment, but there's some redemption in all of this. It's a funeral that's 47 years in the making.
0: Sonia K. Blair Adams' story was a success for NamUs, the National Missing and Unidentified Person System. It did what it was made to do by finding a missing woman among the unidentified dead. But its job recently got a lot harder. In early 2017, the Justice Department cut the funding that led to the DNA identification of Mountain Jane Doe. And the lab we visited in Texas, where the ID was made, has stopped accepting cases from NamUs, NamUs has applied for funding to restart their DNA lab work. If they don't get it, people in Karen's situation could be stuck indefinitely, without knowing for certain about the death of a loved one. Our show was edited by Taki Telanidis and produced by Michael I. Schiller. This story came out of an original investigation by reporter G.W. Schultz and story editor Fernando Diaz with additional reporting and production support from Scott Anger, Rachel DeLeon, Emmanuel Martinez, and Michael Montgomery. Our sound design team is the Wonder Twins. My man, Jay Breezy, Mr. Jim Briggs, and Claire C. Note-Mullen with help from Catherine Raimondo. Our head of studio is Krista Scharfenberg. Amy Powell is our editor-in-chief. Suzanne Reber is our executive editor, and our executive producer is Kevin Sullivan. Our theme music is by Camarado, Lightning. And before we go, let me tell you about another podcast, Her Money, hosted by Jean Chatsky, personal finance expert and author of the New York Times bestseller, Age Proof. Her Money was created to empower women to take control of their financial lives. Whether you're a woman yourself or you have a woman in your life that you care about, you should check this one out. Her Money features great interviews with inspiring women from Arianna Huffington to Joanna Coles to Brene Brown. It's a place to learn about earning more, saving more, investing wisely, and building the financial life you want, the one you're working so hard for. You can find her money on iTunes, Stitcher, or on jeanchatsky.com. Support for reveals provided by the Reva and David Logan Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the High Singh Simons Foundation, and the Ethics and Excellence in Journalism Foundation— Reveal is a co-production of the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. I'm Al Edson, and remember, there is always more to the story.